You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates. That all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you. To see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages. Creator. Author. Victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people. And it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained. Overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend, request me, or follow me, and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. And today is the... 11th day of May 2021, we are going to be reading The Reformers, Chapter 13 of Holy Priesthood, Volume 4. Kim, I'm at the mind. Mm-hmm. 10-4. Uh, you got a bunch of coal showing. Right, check it. Empty, headed up. All right, I got to mute myself, but you know what to do. Okay. Yep. Um, so tonight we're going to be uh, reading 
the Reformers, Part 1 of Chapter 13 of, of Holy Priesthood, Volume 4, pages 144 to 154, um, Polygamy, More Secret Than Public. Um, so, also, before yesterday, we did not pray before we started. Um, so, tonight, I was going to do that. I think that I'll be the one praying tonight because he is at the mine. So if he unmutes his mic, then we'll hear a whole bunch of radio static and, um, yeah, things going on because it gets really busy. And and honking horns. (laughs) Yeah. It gets really busy when he gets to the destination. And then the rest of the time he can listen to and do and talk and do whatever he wants. But when he's there, then it's super busy. Um, So anyways... I am going to um, dedicate the program really quickly. Our Father in Heaven, we come before Thee this night and give Thee thanks and all the praise, Lord, for allowing us to be here now at this moment and to be able to learn of Thy Word, help, help us to understand what it is, that thou would have us learn tonight, Father. And we ask thee to have thy spirit to be with us, with the listening audience, with the um, the individuals that you would have um, them learn or speak to their hearts. And we thank you for the ability that we have to be able to reach uh, other people and to help other people. Um, we give thee thanks and praise and dedicate this time unto thee and say these things in the name of your Son, our Redeemer, Yeshua. Amen. Okay, so let's go right into the reading. The Reformers, Part 1 of Chapter 13 of Holy Priesthood, Volume 4, pages 144 to 154. Polygamy, more secret than public. The Reformation supposedly started about 1517, but many men before then had preached, written, and given their lives in support of a reform in the Catholic Church. The Reformation caused a split in the church because of their many changed and perverted doctrines. Besides all their errors in doctrine, history, and ordinances, the church had ventured into money-making programs to gain greater wealth. The popes received and wallowed in more riches than kings and emperors. The pope was especially engaged in two expensive programs. One was sending out troops to fight his wars in foreign lands. The other was his plans to build the great St. Peter's Basilica in order to acquire the necessary wealth to accomplish his purposes. The Pope sent out men with indulgences, which could be bought in exchange for forgiveness of sins. Repentance was not necessary. These bargains and salvation could even be bought for sins that might be committed in the future. Salvation was much easier to buy than to earn. The Pope was pleased, too, because with this program, immense income poured into Rome's treasury. The wealth of the Popes was best depicted by two artists, preachers. They painted two large pictures on the wall of a building in full view of the public. One was a picture of Christ, meek and poor, 
tattered clothes and bare feet riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. The other was of the Pope in a pontifical procession with rich robes, triple crown of gold, and a dazzling array preceded by parade, a parade of trumpeters. This was an obvious sermon in paint. Morality of the Catholic clergy had sunk to a new low. It had, has been acknowledged that Pope Gregory the Sixth, sorry, I had to count the letters. <laughs> uh, it's actually the seventh, sorry. Um, introduced a clerical celibacy that was legally imposed, but the outcome was often clerical concubinage or concubinage. Uh, that's from American People's Encyclopedia, volume 15, page 485. When Luther made his pilgrimage to Rome, he prostrated himself on the earth and exclaimed, Holy Rome, I salute thee. But everywhere he looked, he saw things that filled him with disgust and horror. No one can imagine what sins and infamous actions are committed in Rome. They must be seen and heard to be believed. Thus, they are in the habit of saying, if there is a hell, Rome is built over it. It is an abyss whence issues every kind of sin. That comes from the Great Controversy, E.G. White, page 143. And uh, we're on the next page, um, if you wanted to say anything. I'm good. Uh, by the way, okay. when we get to the big word, Tertullian, it's, it's Tertullian. Letting you know. <laughs> uh, okay. Tertullian, is that what you said? Yeah, he was a person. Oh, okay. I will see what I can do. <laughs> um, Luther expressed it even stronger when he said there were more devils in Rome than tiles on the rooftops. Another vice that had troubled the members of the Catholic Church was the declared infallibility of the Pope. Members were told to put all confidence in him, regardless of true principles, preachings, the scriptures, or the spirit of God. The doctrines of the church and the practices of its leaders were taking two different directions. Such conditions were clearly noticed by lay members of the church. That's kind of like, follow the prophet, follow the prophet, follow the prophet, follow the prophet. <laughs> Even the hey, church hey, hierarchy. Hey, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Will you please stop brainwashing the audience? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what the whole point of that was. It sounds just like um, the mainstream uh, LDS church, the Brighamite one today, because that's what they do. They get people it should to be. Follow, follow the, the spirit, follow the spirit, follow the spirit in other way. Yeah. Just but, like you um, They like teach the kids profit. at a very young age. <laughs> they teach the kids at a very young age that if the prophet tells you to do something that is wrong and you do it, you will be blessed for it. <laughs> That was actually Heber J. Grant that taught that, Mm -hmm. and David O. McKay taught that, but yeah, so. Not amazing. Anyways, continuing on. 
Even the church hierarchy began to run into conflicts with their religion. It finally resulted in the church having two different popes. And if this weren't enough to settle the conflict, another pope arose to the throne. The papacy was shaken. The following sections in this chapter will discuss the Reformation roles played by known polygamists or advocates, such as Martin Luther King, Philip of Hesse, King Henry of England, John Lazer, Martin Madden, Napoleon Bonaparte. Martin Luther King lived in the 50s, 40s, and 30s. Martin Luther lived in the 1500s. <laughs> Martin, Luther, said Martin Luther King. Pause. No King. King Philip of Hesse. It's, I just <laughs> okay. say it okay. too quickly altogether. So Martin okay. Luther, pause, breath. King Philip of Hesse, pause, breath. <laughs> King Henry of England. John Lather, Martin Madden, Napoleon Bonaparte, Arthur Schopenhauer, Schopenhauer, and James Campbell. Okay? Okay. Martin Luther. The problems within the Catholic Church came to the ears and hearts of many priests. Good men, such as Wycliffe, Hess, Jerome, Cathari, Walden, and Zwigli were all deeply moved to make appeals for sensible reforms. Another active voice of the Reformation was Martin Luther, who posted 95 Thesis on a chapel door requesting a discussion among the more learned members of his local parish. What he thought might be a problem-solving local discussion turned into an uproar that swept all over Europe. This little monk caused the Reformation to gain terrific momentum, all because he renounced the sale of indulgences and the infallibility of the Pope. Luther was soon contacted by the papacy, but reconciliation became impossible, or reconciliation became impossible. The church burned Luther's tracts. Luther burned theirs. The Pope wrote repudiations against Luther. Luther wrote repudiations against him. Many of Luther's tracts against the corrupt doctrines of the Catholic Church are still published. A variety of doctrines arose in heated debates, among which were indulgences, purgatory, sacraments, baptism, the Lord's Supper, penance, mass, confession, uh, monasticism, monasticism, monasticism. Sure. (laughs) I don't know what that is. And of course, one they don't want mentioned, polygamy. We're on the next page if you wanted to talk about any of those. (laughs) I'm in a bad area. Sounds amazing. I'll keep going. Luther was excommunicated at Worms, Germany, in 1521, which was just 13 years before the polygamist uprising in Munster. As a priest, he had had a concourse of people coming to him for help with their marriages. Monogamy produced a multitude of problems, as Luther explained. It was a grand thing for a married pair to live in perfect union, but the devil rarely permits this. When they are apart, they cannot endure the separation, and when they are together, they cannot endure the always seeing one another. Tis at the poet says, or tis as the poet says, nectium or tecum, the ver. Potium 
Nexinite. Married people must assiduously pray against these assaults of, of the devil. I have seen marriages where, at first, husband and wife seemed as though they would eat one another up. In six months, they have separated in mutual disgust. Tis the devil fires this evanescent ardor in order to divert the parties from prayer. That's from Table Talk, Luther, page 301. If monogamy had many problems, polygamy certainly had more, but celibacy was the worst of the three. Yet this was the lifestyle the Catholic Church was insisting on for its priests, nuns, and monks. The consequences were catastrophic. St. Ulrich, Bishop of Augsburg, related a fearful thing that befell at Rome. Pope Gregory, who confirmed celibacy, ordered a fish pond at Rome had by a covenant of nuns to be cleared out. The water being left off, there were found at the bottom more than 6,000 skulls of children, babies, that had been cast into the pond and drowned. Such were the fruits of enforced celibacy. Hereupon, Pope Gregory abolished celibacy, but the popes who succeeded him reestablished it. In our own time, there was an in Austria at Newtonburg, a covenant of nuns who, by reason of their licentious doings, licentious doings, were removed from it and placed elsewhere, and their covenant filled with Franciscans. These monks, wishing to enlarge the building, foundations were dug, and in excavating, there were found 12 great pots, in each of which was the carcass of an infant. How much better to let these people marry than by prohibition thereof to cause the murder of so many innocent creatures. Table Talk, Luther, page 307. Celibacy had infiltrated the Catholic Church as early as the first century A.D. Learned philosophers such as Simon Magus, Menader, and Serenthus had studied Alexandria and were later converted to Christianity, but brought some of their Gnostic, Gnostic and celibate ideas, ideals with them. Other Gnostic Christians, such as Valentine, Montanus, Tertullian, and Oregon, also advocated celibacy. But Origin. the second century... <laughs> Origin. It says Oregon. Ah, origin. Yeah. But by the second century, it was one of the prevailing doctrines, and by the third century, it had permanently corrupted the church. It was Bardin or Bardisanes who wrote in 170 AD that the disciples of Christ would live closer to God if they renounced wedlock, abstain from animal food, and live in solitude on the slightest and most meager diet. See History of the Roman Empire, um, Cately, Part 2, Chapter 7. Oregon, Origen, uh, 185 to 253 A.D., the celebrated and prolific ecclesiastical writer from Alexandria was so strongly convinced of celibacy that he voluntarily was castrated. By the fourth century, a sect called the Severians thought that 
woman was the work of Satan and marriage was diabolical. This idea, of course, soon led to their own extinction. Makes sense. <laughs> Luther questioned many doctrines of the Catholic Church, and celibacy was one of them. He soon brought about full exposure of what Herod deeds followed followed the nuns, monks, and priests in their cloisters and monasteries. Luther cried out, Would to God that I could thus rescue all captive consciences, yep, consciences, and empty all the cloisters. That's from History of the Reformation, Doctrinal History, Diabigny, Volume 3, page 241. The breach had already started, and Luther was soon able to assist the numerous nuns and monks in their liberation. In 1524, Luther laid aside the frock of the friars and strongly encouraged the celibate nuns and monks to enter into domestic family life. He himself married a former nun, Catherine von Bora. Luther saw celibacy as one of the works of men and not of God, and declared that it is not good that man should be alone, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. His marriage created more commotion than an earthquake, but Luther considered anything offensive to the world must be inoffensive to God. Another problem arose when so many nuns were available for marriage. In fact, there were too many. Again, the discussion of plural marriage arose and could not be dampened. Soon, It soon broke out in Munster among kings and even with the lay members of the churches. Books and pamphlets both for and against polygamy were sent all over Germany, one of which came into the hands of Luther and his friends. When asked about it, Luther gave it a serious thought. It was mentioned at table, book had just been published, setting forth and the apology of bigamy. The doctor for a while remained silent and seemed plunged, or plunged in grave reverie. At length, he said, I have often wondered at the king of Arabia having 700 wives. Someone observed, Sir Doctor, what say you to Solomon, who had 300 wives, or queens and 700 concubines? The next, moreover, adding that the number of young girls at his court had not been reckoned up. The doctor replied, "'Tis to be kept in mind that the list of queens in scripture comprehends the royal family of David, who were supported by his son, the elector of Saxony, has a great number of ladies at his court, princesses, noble damsels, women of honor, maids of honor, women of the bedchamber, and whatnot. But it does not follow that these are all his wives. As to Solomon's having entertained all these women as his wives, tis out of the question, impracticable. Someone asked or someone asked, did Solomon perform penitence? Luther replied, no, but the scripture tells us he slept with his father. Wherefore, I conclude he was admitted to beatitude, beatitude, such being the meaning of that expression, which is not employed with reference to Absalom. Scotus has formally damned Solomon. That's from Table Talk, page 301. The Catholic Church, oh, um, there was a page in the middle of that. Did you have anything to add? Um, no, this is like one of my favorite topics. 
like when I used to go to college institute classes, this class, I loved it so much. And, and I've read so many books about these things. And I didn't think about it before, but so Martin Luther and these other reformers, they were like, you know, going up against the church of the time. And the church, they all looked back to Peter. Peter's the one that founded us, oh, you know, and Jesus, but Peter, because they look at Peter as the first pope. And I see these parallelisms with the Catholic church and the reformers and with myself and uh, the LDS church, with the LDS church pointing back to Joseph Smith for their authority claims. But the Catholic Church and the LDS Church are following the same track. And that is that their leaders, the Catholic Church's leaders, they didn't care about what the scriptures said so much. They basically were like, whatever the, the Pope says or the president of the church says, that is what goes. You know, not so much what past leaders have said. And the LDS Church does the same thing. They don't care what's in the scriptures. I mean, they'll give you, like, in Sunday school. And this is one of the things that drove me insane in, in the LDS church. I took one class on the book of Ephesians for two semesters. When I was a gospel doctrine teacher, we taught it for one Sunday every four years. We didn't even dive into it. We just skimmed it. You know, and we, there was a lot of things that I, I could have gone over on that particular book or any of the stuff, you know, but in the beginning of the manual, at least the old one, um, it, it would say, you know, stick to the discussion. And like when I was um, a participant in the Sunday school classes and I wasn't the teacher, if I said anything that wasn't in the manual, the flipping doctor, well, not all of them, but a lot of them, if they were following the church manual, they would not want to talk about anything that wasn't in the, the flipping manual. Joseph Smith taught that if they contradict the Bible, the Book of Mormon, or the Doctrine and Covenants, you set them down as imposters. And if the LDS Church does the same thing, and they do, as the Catholic Church did, then they're on the same road of apostasy that the, church, the LDS Church was, was on. And that's why in Section 85 of the Doctrine and Covenants, Jesus says, I will send one mighty and strong to set the house of God in order because he knew that it would get out of order because of these, these imposters who contradict former revelation and teach false doctrines like Heber J. Grant and David O. McKay that taught, if you do anything wrong because the president of the church says to do it, then you'll be blessed for it even though it's wrong. That's, that's a damnable lie. And so, um, you know, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's arrogance to think, uh, to place myself in the same light as Martin Luther, but I don't think it is. And I, I'm not an a anti-Semite, like, uh, anti-Semite like Martin Luther was, but I see the same damn heresies popping up in the LDS Church as I, as I do when reading the, the history of the Catholic Church. And it, it angers me because I want truth. I want God. The other thing I wanted to say, too, just because Solomon and David had many wives like they did, didn't mean it was right. They were not following the Torah law 
the instructions for plural uh, plural marriage because you have to you have to be able to take care of the wives you have to take care of the children you have to give them food clothing and um, you know a home but you also have to be able to take care of the sexual desires of your wives and if you've got too many wives you can't do that and then they start doing the whole lesbian thing or sleeping around you know so just because it's in the scriptures doesn't mean that God uh, condones it, or not condones it, but, like, supports it, I guess. You know, so, um, you know, if you take one thing out of the scriptures, but you don't know the context, that's where you start teaching false doctrines. Also, the Catholic Church, they had the scriptures. In the scriptures, it said, in the last days, there will be those who for, uh, forbid to marry, but then they did forbid to marry, and it caused all kinds of uh, all kinds of of crap that happened within the church. Okay, one last thing. It talked about younger brides. When a child goes through puberty in the Hebrew religion uh, culture, whatever, like the children are like these teenagers that were like fourteen to sixteen were getting married because they were going through puberty and it is a natural thing to want to be with a person and not have to wait till you're in your thirties to get married. So the thing that Joseph Smith did with supposedly marrying younger women, I don't have a problem with that per se, but in the culture today, we have a different, uh, you know, thing that's going on and people just forbid to marry for longer and longer and longer because they got schooling to go to or whatever the hell they want, you know, that they're going to do in their culture. And um, I don't know. I, I don't believe that Joseph Smith was married to a bunch of women like they say. Um, I believe that he did. Uh, he understood the, the uh, sealing by the Holy Spirit of promise and that he was sealed to many women. Uh, some of them were even married but um, there's a reason for it. It doesn't mean that they were married. Everybody wants to say marriage and feelings are the same thing. They are not the same thing. And we know that there is no DNA evidence at all for any of these women that Joseph Smith was sealed to by the Holy Spirit of promise that had his children because he wasn't married in that way. Brigham Young may have done something different. Brigham Young actually broke Torah law by taking many wives like he did. That was wrong for him to do that. I don't care. Hebrew Steve Kimball was wrong for him to do it as well, and all of the others. But plural celestial marriage between one man and multiple women to a point is right, and it is of God, and it is laid down before the foundation of this earth as, as gospel. It, it is uh, and there's a reason for that, because in order to receive your highest blessings as as an elect woman, you have to be sealed to a man by the Holy Spirit of promise. And there are, in fact, less men who are elect than there are women. So anyway, uh, I'll just mute myself. I'm getting in, into another bad area for the next three miles. So I'm going to say that I kind of agree with that, but however... Um, I know how people are and how they think. And so um, when you were talking about the ages, like the younger girls, 
14, 12, 14-year-old girls who are starting their menstruation, and then they were getting married and sealed to these men. Um, yes, in that time where the culture was a lot different, um, that, uh, and that was okay with their culture, but girls who were that young at that time when you were 12 years old, you already knew how to run a household, cook, clean, take care of siblings, um, do a plethora of things. And schooling was different for them as well. And then even for the young, the uh, poorer families, um, the women who, the girls who were that young, um, they, they had all of those as well, but their parents did not have the money to support them any longer and so they would marry them off to wealthier older men who could take care and provide for those girls um, which would be better than them being homeless thrown on the streets or uh, with somebody who could not take care of them so the culture was extremely different now um well that doesn't the other mean thing that too, yeah i'm really glad that you're bringing this up but the other thing too is they lived shorter life lifespans as a whole yep, back then. Did. Yep. Absolutely. So that was a different time. Because of I health. would not wa- uh-huh. I have a twelve year old daughter. I have a twelve year old daughter. Right. I don't want her uh-huh. getting married when she's a teenager. Because women are girls today are not as mature as girls back then. Uh, there were the life yes. was hard, harder back then. Kids today are uh-huh. more entitled because they're taken care of and spoiled more and it takes them longer uh-huh. to develop than it does, uh, you know, for kids back then. So I don't agree. This whole thing with, um, so we are fundamentalists, and we, we are neo-fundamentalists. We're a strange lot of fundamentalists because we don't accept Brigham Young as the Lord's anointed. We accept Joseph Smith as the Lord's anointed, and I won't get into that too much today. But we do walk among the fundamentalist uh, cultures and people Today And within the fundamentalist, uh, you know, Mormon cultures, there are younger brides. I mean, Tom Green just died last month. We were friends with Tom Green. He had a 14-year-old bride like 30 years ago or something like that. And he actually went to jail for it back in 2002, I think it was. Well, I think there was welfare fraud going on there too. But we don't agree with that sort of thing. It, uh, because of the way things are, at all. No, we don't. And um, we don't agree with child brides, as, as Nate Carlisle I know. brought up in his stupid argument or, uh, article at the Salt Lake Tribune. And as far as I'm concerned, yeah. that guy's a prick. Any, anyway, but um, anyway, I'll, I'll mute myself. I could go on and on and on, but I'll... Uh, I know. And I was just trying to bring it up because you were very quick. Yeah, you were really quick and quiet about it. Like you just went over it a little bit. And so I just wanted to, like all the things you were saying is what I was trying to clarify. Just to let them know that, no, not right now. We do not agree with that. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm glad you did that. And the only reason I had to do that is because I knew I was coming up to that area where I break up. So I was trying to, like, get it out before I got to that area. But anyway, um, mm-hmm. I'll mute myself. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So um, anyways, it's just uh, a lot of times when you're looking at scriptures and you're reading things, um, you look at it from one point of view. Yeah. You know, you see the one point. 
sometimes when you're reading stuff like this, you get it from many different points of view. Um, and that's really great when you're researching. Um, but researching and looking into these things, it's really good for you to know the history of what is going on at the time. And this is talking about different histories and, and from this person's point of view. But you could go even more in depth and uh, research to find out more truth on your own. And then, um, as always, and what, you know, Mark and I would both say would, would be that you should pray about it, about what you're reading, what your understanding is, and um, pray for confirmation of the Spirit so that you can better understand yeah. the things this that um, volume, you're being taught. This mm-hmm. whole volume is about the history of plural, uh, plural marriage or polygamy yeah. and the law of uh, polygamy. So we'll get into all of that in this volume, Holy Priesthood Volume yeah. 4. That's what this is all about. Mm-hmm. We're trying to understand the history of polygamy and uh, in, the, in each of the different cultures. And then we'll get into the law in later chapters of polygamy. So. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to continue on reading. The Catholic Church qualified those for church offices according to the, their moral standards. And polygamy or bigamy were among the worst kinds of moral sins. The Pope considered a man who had two wives, either consecutively or at the same time, to be a bigamist. Martin Luther criticized the Pope for for such a stand. Scripture uses the term bigamist for one who, like Lamech, has two wives living at the same time. That's in Genesis, Genesis chapter 4, verse 19. The Pope, however, is more learned and calls one who marries two women successively a bigamist. There are not allowed to pre- or they are not allowed to preach, baptize, administer the sacrament, or hold any office in the church, even if they were holier than St. John and their wives holier than their, the mother of God. So marvelously holy is the Pope in his decretals. However, if someone had ravished a hundred virgins, violated a hundred honorable widows, and laid with a hundred whores before that, he might become he may become not only pastor or preacher, but also bishop or pope. And even if he were to continue this kind of life, he would nonetheless be tolerated in those offices. But if he marries a bride who is a virgin or a make-believe virgin, he cannot be a servant of God. It makes no difference that he is a true Christian, learned, pious, competent. He is a bigamist. Thus, he must leave his office and never return to it. What do you think of that? It is not it or is that not a higher holiness than that of Christ himself together with that of the Holy Spirit and his church? Christ spurns neither men with one wife or two successive wives, nor women with one husband or two successive husbands. If they believe in him, he lets them remain members of his holy Christian people. He also makes use of them for whatever work they are adapted. That's from Selected Writings of Martin Luther, Topical Guide Tappert, or T.G. Tappert, sorry, uh, volume 4, page 349. Luther was also critical of the church rule that stated if a man should marry a woman who was not a virgin, then he was a bigamist and therefore not worthy of any office in the church. I truly believe that in accordance with their wisdom, no man could marry a virgin and after her death become a priest among them. For who can guarantee or vouch that he is actually getting a virgin? The road runs past the door, as they say. Now, if he would find her not a virgin, 
and that is a chance he must take, he would, through no fault of his own, be a thinking bigamist. And if he wants to be certain that he can become a priest, he dare not marry a virgin either. For what assurance does he have that she is one? However, he may ravish virgins, widows, and wives, have many whores, commit all sorts of secret sins. He is still worthy of the priestly office. The sum and substance of it all is that the Pope, the devil, and his church are averse to the estate of matrimony. Therefore, do not worry, as we said, about the papist's talk concerning the personal qualifications for an ecclesiastical office, for these assess do not understand St. Paul's words, or asses, sorry, I put assess. These asses do not understand St. Paul's words, nor do they know what St. Paul's language calls a sacrament. That is, I bid volume four, page 355. So that's from Selected Writings of Martin Luther, T.G. Tappert. At Wittenberg, as early as 1522, Luther gave a sermon in which he mentioned the plausibility of plural marriage. He was not advocating living, but merely accepting it as a doctrinal issue. A few years later, he was pressured to acknowledge it as a true doctrine, that he could be, that could be lived at any time. It was not from the pe- peasant's corner that the query came, but from Prince Philip of Hesse. The king's wife could not give him a son, and so he considered a plural marriage appealing to Luther for the biblical view of that doctrine. Luther and his wisest colleagues seriously considered it for several days and finally wrote him in or the conclusion of their research. But after all, if your highness is fully resolved to marry a second wife, we judge it ought to be done secretly. As we have said with respect to the dispensation demanded on the same account, that is, that none but the person you shall wed and a few trusty persons know of the matter, and they too obliged to set secrecy under the seal of confession. Hence, no contradiction nor scandal of moment need be apprehended, for it is no extraordinary thing for princes to keep concubines, and though the vulgar should be scandalized, thereat, <coughs> or three, thereat, um, the more intelligent would doubt of the truth and prudent persons would approve of this moderate kind of life, preferable to adultery and other brutal actions. There is no need of being much concerned for what men will say, provided all goes right with um, conscience. So far do we approve it, and in those circumstances only by a specified for the gospel hath neither recalled nor forbid what was permitted in the law of Moses with respect to marriage. Jesus Christ has not changed the external... um, economy but added justice only and life everlasting for reward he teaches the true way of obeying god and endeavors to repair the corruption of nature your highness has therefore in this writing not only the approbation of us all in case of necessity concerning what you desire but also the reflections we have made sorry technical difficulties And I am fixing it. Did your phone reset or something? It just glitched and closed it up. 
Okay, sorry. All right, are you, you're reading it through um, the text message was, they sent you? No, that did not work. We are on plan B. Oh, <laughs> dang it. <laughs> and it did reset while you were talking earlier, but you were talking. So I was like, okay, go back in. And then it reset again, and then I went back in. And then it changed color, and then I went back in. And, <laughs> and then we haven't had any issues. So, yeah, except for just then. Get the behind me, um, <laughs> I know. I, it was going seemingly well, and we're almost to the end, but then that happened. So, anyways, Jesus Christ has not changed the external economy, but added justice only and life everlasting lasting for reward. He teaches the true way of obeying God and endeavors to repair the corruption of nature. Your Highness has, therefore, in this writing, not only the approbation of us all in case of necessity, concerning what you desire, but also the reflections we have made thereupon. We beseech you to weigh them as becoming a virtuous, wise, and Christian prince. We also beg of God to direct all for his glory and your highness's salvation. May God preserve your highness. We are most ready to serve your highness, giving at Wittenberg the Wednesday after the feast of St. Nicholas, 1539. Your highness's most humble and most obedient subjects and servants, Martin Luther, Philip, Melanchthon, Melanchthon, Martin Luther, Booster, Anthony Corvin, Adam, John Levine, or Levingu, Justice Winterfurt, Winterte, Dennis Melanther. From History of the Variations of the Protestant Churches, James Benign, Bosquet, Volume 1. The End. It, like, didn't have anything extra or anything to close that out. It was yeah, just the it's letter fine. And done. I know. It, so um, the next thing that we're going to go over um, is about Prince, uh, King uh, Philip. King Philip, yeah. So, and we'll talk about <laughs> him tomorrow, and then we'll continue on with Part 2 of Holy Priesthood, Volume 13, uh, going over the Reformers and the history of the Reformers. And I can't wait to get into this. Um, one really kind of cool thing for me, I know I'm bragging, and it's not really bragging, but we're going to go over King Henry, who was a big jackass. I I can't stand the history. I mean, but uh, I'm related to him, too. So him and Charlemagne and all these people, like I'm a direct descendant of, of some of these people anyway, and I think it's just, I think it's cool to learn about the history of people that I'm related to, but more more so the history of these people who are important figures in history. And uh, I denounced my great-grandpa, King Henry, but uh, I still think it's kind of cool that I'm related to him. <laughs> so, all right. Um, so we don't have any guest callers. I don't see anyone. Uh, the guest caller number is 917 and um, if we have anybody real quick that calls in, that would be great. If not, that's fine because I'm getting to the coal terminal, the rail load out, and i got to dump 42 tons of coal on the ground as soon as I get in here. So um, I don't see anybody, though. Um, Kim, you should think about using your laptop to log into the studio. Uh-huh. Uh, so you can control Oh, I did get a cord so I can charge it now. So that's super exciting. 
Yeah, I know you did, but I don't. Re- I didn't. I didn't. Um, well, I don't know where you put it because uh, it was on the table. Yeah, I was. Oh, okay. All right. Well, yeah, yeah, we don't have anybody. So, is there anything else that you wanted to say about any of this before we uh, close out the program for today? Um, not that I can recall or remember. Sorry. <laughs> it's fine. Thank you for reading for me. I really enjoy you reading more than me because you actually read way better mm-hmm. than me. And uh, I can't seem to get through a page without talking about the topics <laughs> at hand 20 times per page. And uh, it makes 10 pages go by two hours. And I know that people probably, some people don't want to hear me talking so much. So uh, the text will be for available at uh, facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. Anybody who friend requests me there, as long as I have uh, space, I'm getting pretty close to 5,000 friends and followers, or friends on Facebook, but I actually have like 600 followers that aren't my friends. If you cannot friend request me, follow me instead. You'll still get the updates to when we're going to do the shows. Uh, You know, we always try to do shows um, at the same time every day, but things get stupid. And like like, uh, anybody who's listened to any of the programs, having glitches, things are always coming up because Satan Satan hates it when you oppose his kingdom. And and he hates it when you, you talk about truth and uh, expose the lies of men who try to to teach, uh, you know, doctrines of opinions because he loves doctrines of opinions because it gets, it gets people screwed up. So, you know, uh, we'll just – it's the way it's always been. He'll always continue to try to stop this, and we'll always fight back and try to, to keep things going. So, all right, well, uh, that's the end of the program. I've talked enough. Nobody's called in. That's fine. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And, Kim, go ahead and mute your, mute your mic. Okay, I will. And I will play the closing music. And you can actually just hang up if you want. It's fine. All right. Uh, here's the music. Okay. Thank you for everybody. And God bless and goodbye. Mm-hmm.